Today we have Marc Bourgeois, Managing Director, UK and Ireland of retail property giants Hammerson. He talks about creating city quarters, how far the rich mix of mixed use might take the future city centre, and the importance of return on experience, and all live from beautiful West Yorkshire. Hello, Mark. Thank you very much for joining me, it's very kind of you. Hello Adam, nice to uh, join you in your country retreat. That's right. Both from, my, from my northern retreat. I like this, and my, from my, my wooded retreat, and it's very good, and particularly I like the conversation we were just having about children with drum kits. I've told my children to be very, very quiet outside, so we'll see how well this works. Excellent. Yeah, and I like the thought of you in a, a wooded uh, sort of a wooded setting, like some scene from Snow White with the foxes and the deers bounding through the garden. I think it's, uh, it sounds idyllic. <laughs> it does feel like that sometimes. It, you know, it's a good spot and a good spot to scheme from. So I think, so I have some scheming questions for you. And I think, you know, you, you kindly, you know, helped me with the book we were writing for the RIBA earlier in the year. And I think there was one thing that we started off talking about, which I really loved. You were talking about the importance of things beginning with E, things like escapism and education and experience and how very important they were to consumers and you know, to, well, to all of us. And those are the things that, you know, often drive us. And I was wondering, you know, since we've now been in, we're in our third lockdown, are you feeling this more intensely? Is that more true now, do you think? Oh, my word. Absolutely. I mean, I've got to say, just prior to having this discussion, I was thinking, do I, from my, from my, having been in my front room or this, this office now for the last uh, few weeks and not having visited a, uh, a retail destination, you know, just how inspired do I feel to be able to, you know, proffer some words of wisdom around experience, uh, given the experience of uh, the fairly kind of monotonous experience we're all, we're all facing right now. But I'll give it my best shot. Uh, I'll give it my best shot, Adam. Um, Look, I think the, the, the conversation we had was, uh, and it was born from um, kind of my frustration, I guess, that we use and we throw around the word uh, experience a lot. Uh, I'm, Hammerson are clearly in the, in the retail and leisure business. You know, we have these uh, you know, wonderful locations from Birmingham, Southampton, uh, Marseille, Terrace de Port, Dublin, um, uh, Dundrum Town Centre. And, and we talk a lot about polarisation in our market and, and something that's clearly been accelerated by COVID. Um, let's not talk too much about COVID, so we, we'll keep off that one for today, but generally it's been accelerated by COVID. And, but prior to that was happening with the structural shift in retail. There's essentially meaning po- things are polarizing between the convenience uh, end, i.e. hyper-convenience, Amazon being one and, and clearly uh, you know, direct to home um, deliveries, but then also the retail parks. And then at the other end, we talk about experience and, and there's a lot of experiential-led retailing. So I guess my frustration is what do we actually mean when we say experience? So you break that down, it's convenient to break it down to things that begin with E. And these are things I think we are, these are reasons I think that we all can relate to when we choose to visit a destination and, uh, and, and be stimulated and want to be there. And I think the first one is particularly, um, particularly, uh, you know, resonates right now, and that's escapism. You know, the real world does not happen online. You know, as much as I'm enjoying talking to you in this this video screen uh, right now, Adam, clearly it would be uh, far more pleasant for us both where we face to face. And at that point, I could share some of my popcorn with you that I'm fastidiously choosing not to eat here because I don't want to chew on the microphone. But that's as an aside. I, um, you know, we, 
it's escapism, escapism from the day to day. And I think one of these locations should be able to offer people escapism, whether it's the online world, whether it's just the just being in their home for uh, for many weeks as we're all now getting used to what that feels like. So I think that escapism, you know, for me, resonates more more uh, than ever. Uh, I think the other the, the second E is education. You know, we go to these places, you learn things. Again, perhaps my opening remarks about was I going to feel inspired enough. Every time, every time I go to one of these places. I'm learning something, whether it's whether it's a Hammerson scheme that you know I know well. I learn something new that day. You know, if I visit a new city, I learn something, and this educational aspect of being out, physically seeing it, physically experiencing it, is so much more powerful and sticks so much more than you know you could ever find uh, you know, through Google or, or even um, you know, as much as we all love reading, uh, read, reading a book. You see it in real life, and, and you, you you're educated. Um, I think the next two are fairly well linked and they're, they're both uh, excitement and entertainment. You know, it is exciting, certainly from a shopping perspective, it is exciting to go out, you know, if you're a, um, you know, a typical and a focused, uh, you know, focused individual who knows what you're after, you know, you still get that thrill of the chase when you find that item that you've been looking for. Or indeed, you come across the item that you didn't know you needed, but it's been beautifully retailed in a fantastic in a store environment and the excitement of finding that uh, that object of of trying it on and taking it home is something that's quite primitive and i think leading on from that then entertainment uh, clearly we want to be entertained and, and for us that's uh, whether that's entertainment through you know, the obvious things like okay i want to go on a good i'm going to break up my trip by going to the cinema or maybe going on one of these fabulous you know bowling concepts the kind of active uh, you know, active um, uh, social uh, type ping, ping, competitive, ping, thank you, thank you, found and helped me out on that one, I forgot a blank on competitive socialising, competitive socialising, you know, that's clearly entertainment, um, and there's entertainment, we work hard at Hammerson Schemes to put on events, to make something different every time someone goes, you know, there was, did you know, there was uh, there was no snow at the time, but it was snowing in every one of our venues at, 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 uh, during December, which uh, I thought was hugely entertaining when I managed to get around them. So it's that being entertained when you're out. In a way, again, that in the physical environment, you're never going to quite be entertained for when, you, when, when uh, you're in the house. And then the last one, and I think this, this, this really ties it all together, it's that emotional connection from being out and being in a place that you really... Uh, you know, uh, you love, and all those experiences, all those sensory experiences, all come together. You know, you buy an item of clothing. It's basically you buy an item of clothing whilst out on a, you know, a, a, a really lovely afternoon with your partner. And every time you put it on, it reminds you of that afternoon that you bought that item of clothing. And that emotion that gets associated with with these 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 trips, I think, is very very powerful. You know, I look at a place like Brent Cross. You know, and that's a generational thing. Uh, and we look, we speak to shoppers at Brent Cross, and it's a generational thing. Of, uh, you know, started in 1975 when, when you know, the wide-eyed, uh, you know, 12-year-old would have gone in there. Now that that individual is is a, a grandparent, and you know, there's there's, gen- there's two generations that uh, that are also going to Brent Cross, and that emotional connection that builds up with these venues over the over the years is is quite powerful. So all those things are what make up experience, which is why you know, I, I fundamentally um, see that these places, these retail, these leisure destinations, as they're evolving and they will evolve, fundamentally uh, will always have a place. Um, will always have a place. Yeah, I love that. I love that body language too, of that all, the way you do that, that all of these E's 
kind of cluster around, you know, they're all different versions of this thought around experience. And ideally, you're bouncing from one to the other. So I suppose that then makes me wonder that people talk about a lot, a lot about kind of a mix of uses. But that strikes me as something whenever I when people say that it sounds kind of glorious. But then when I look at it, it's often a, a plan broken up. It's a series of red lines. And it's actually it doesn't have any of that kind of organic quality that you're talking about, where actually what you're talking about is is more a mix of activities that sounds like it's more about as much about the program as it is about the physicality. And I wonder, does that connect with you in terms of the, the sort of the curating with time as much as space? Is that what we're talking about here, too? Yeah, I think so. If I think if I understand your, your, your question, I, I mean, what, what we ideally want to do in any one of our venues is, is curate an experience with all those uh, factors I talked about throughout the day and actually throughout the year. Um, and to be able to curate different events, clearly from uh, something at, at Easter, maybe there's a you know religious festival around Eid, or maybe then you have something uh, going on at Christmas and all the things in between. So certainly there's a time factor associated with the, with when you put on certain certain events. Um, I think increasingly the uh, uh, you know, during the day you start your day part management from you know what people are looking for at breakfast, lunchtime, mid morning, mid afternoon, in the evening is something I think we're increasingly thinking about and and why our our venues have to be you know quite agile and quite flexible and our operating models quite agile and quite flexible to be able to think that way. It's not it's not good enough anymore just to you know that's the offer and that's what you get. You have to be very very um, cognizant of of the you know the different times that uh, we um, uh, and, and, and the different audiences during during that time yeah so so let me ask you about that in terms of how far that mix of uses might go because the reason I'm asking is of course you know lots of people are talking about the relationship of retail and hospitality but workplace and education and culture and healthcare. you know how far should that go and also I note that that's not necessarily about splitting up in a plan it's also the idea that the place could change throughout the day and I'm interested how far you think that model will go in terms of that mix of activities what what are you interested in in there yeah I mean I think back to getting back to basics slightly on on certainly where we're focused right now and many owners of retail property are focused you know there is a uh, there is an, an enormous amount of effort used um, going into you know what, we, what we're commonly terming repurposing of this space and it's a, again a term that's banded around uh, yeah at Hammerson we have for some time now for the last 18 months we've been very clear that we saw uh, the retail uh, the traditional fashion space reducing by probably 20%. And we see our department store space reducing by 25%. And what we replace that space with, and I'm, this is a kind of sub-answer to your, your more broad repurposing, I'm kind of focusing on retail for a minute. But it's, for us, it's important then to curate the right brands uh, that feature in the truly omnichannel world. So, for instance, I mean, Arcadia is a great example. Um, you know, this is clearly under, uh, likely you will not see those stores on the high street. It's kind of been coming for a while. You know, New Look has been struggling significantly. Um, and a lot of fashion brands have gone, gone out of business. So we've seen this happening. But we've seen, and then back to the polarisation point, and this happened, we're fortunate in Hammerson Schemes because we have these big schemes in, in uh, you know, big urban locations. And then what we're seeing replace those traditional fashion brands are 
certainly a lot of non-fashion consumer brands. So you see the the likes of Lego, of Samsung, of Apple taking uh, more space. And this is where brands are looking to be in physical places in order to you know, get in front of their customers physically. It's another direct, it's another route to market for them. Clearly online is a big route to market, but physical, for all the reasons I've touched on earlier, is a big route to market for these brands. So it's been really interesting seeing that evolution. We've seen the car manufacturers taking space with us. You know, VW, uh, Tesla, Volvo, um, all taken, taken space with us over the last couple of years. So that, that and, and I think that will continue. Uh, secondly, um, the, uh, in, in, in fashion is not dead at all on the high streets. I mean, far from, far from it. And we're seeing quite a lot of the more, you know, we term aspirational brands in the context of the, of these city centres, the likes of, you know, Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, you know, Reese, Polo Ralph Lauren, yeah, taking space because uh, partly because the department store route to market is clearly a far less certain for one for them now, but also because they too, through these stores, want to create an experience for their customers that goes far beyond just making sure they sell them something there and then. You know, the store certainly has to be productive in how it sells, but it also has to be something that's a great experience. Customer will go away and having formed that emotional connection with the brand will go buy at home. They know that they can fulfill their online purchases in that store. So all those reasons. So I, I've kind of gone into real detail asking, I know what answering, I know what's a far broader question from you, Adam, but that's the how currently repurposing is going on the it, it, on the ground in these retail locations. It's fair to say, and there are a lot of retail, retail locations in the middle of that polarized spectrum where there is just no retail use for and those will be you know significantly repurposed demolished in many situations and and there'll be you know there'll be new uses depending on the type of community that uh, that use is is uh, is coming is is it you know, sits in um so again quite difficult to generalize back then to your question trying to address it in a slightly more broad context and I'm again I, I generally going to look at this through the city centre the kind of urban lens is where we where our, our places uh, are and I guess our next sort of the moving up the chain of significance of repurposing we're looking at say at our department stores and you know we've got some really interesting things happening right now and on department stores you know for probably 12 months ago we kind of realised Debenhams were going to be no more. Um, we started the per, the process of um, of thinking about and planning the repurposing. In some situations, it may be a retail repurpose. In others, for instance, Reading, we've got a house of Fraser there where we have we're planning a you know, beautiful leisure um, kind of a, a leisure offer, which will be bowls, kind of quite a, a, an interesting. Well, if that's Put Shack, who we've um, who we've we, we exchanged contracts with there and. Uh, uh, and then we're under under offer with a uh, another major final space user. And that'll be a beautiful leisure occupier that'll sit right next to the River Kennet. Uh, it replaces what what would be quite a tired department store. Um, you've actually got uh, a Debenhams on the other side of the centre where we we've just opened a new next uh, uh, beauty and home um, as in part of that. So you've got a town which suddenly has transformed itself from being three department stores, i.e. House of Fraser, Debenhams, and a John Lewis to having um, you know, less retail, a really good anchor in John Lewis, and then far more appropriate attractive uses for customers to draw them into the, into the space. Another example of repurposing on the, at the other end is in Leicester. We have a, de a de Debenhams department store in Leicester, and the challenge with quite a few of the department stores 
uh, and this is something that you know many landlords will face. We're fortunate insofar, again, as the land values are generally higher in city centres than they are clearly, evidently, in other locations. So we've got a, we're in for planning uh, in Leicester to demolish the Debenham store and, um, and then develop out uh, 300 um, homes which we are targeting on the uh, build-to-rent market. And actually from a, a kind of a linked use, you know, we'll integrate this with the environment as a whole. I think it's a wonderful location for someone to live right in the heart of a city centre. They've got all the retail and leisure facilities that we have in High Cross, which is the you know, centre we're in Leicester, uh, 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 which is you know, a wonderful scheme with um, with lots of you know, F&B, uh, entertainment and, uh, and retail uh, in there. So fantastic place for someone to live. And by bringing that in, we're far more appropriate use than previously the department store and actually drives, brings customers to the heart of the offer, which so it's a kind of self-fulfilling, um, you know, virtual, uh, virtuous circle. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, that point about the appropriate uses. You know, it's the thing you and I talked about before about, you know, a, a city quarter. And, and you know, its, its role is to look at how it can, you know, play its part in completing the neighbourhood, in giving reasons to draw people in. And so, so much of what you're talking about in terms of that cluster is a mix of anchors where, but the anchors are a leisure. The anchor is, you know, is, is more cultural. The anchor is more entertainment. The anchor is retail. And, and that's really interesting in terms of that rich mix that you're talking about there. It is. You know, there's no one size fits all with this. Um, it, you know, you've got to kind of, again, in the urban location, urban context and the city context, you've clearly got to take account of what's, what's there. You know, for instance, I go to Birmingham for the day. I can have a wonderful day out. I can visit um, that Bull Ring. I can, you know, and, and Grand Central. You know, have a uh, have a great bite to eat. But then I can also go up to the you know, wonderful art gallery, biggest pre-Raphaelite um, exhibition outside of London. I can walk along the canal. I can go to the Jewelry Quarter. You know, I can really immerse myself in cultural Birmingham which is another reason for us for me to go there not just because I want to go be part of the boring and shop and uh, and dine so those are for me the connection between all of those those integrated cultural you know leisure retail um uses and and offers is is the reason why I would go to this location I guess I've just given you the perspective of someone who's looking to go to Birmingham for that big day out. Of course, there's those who work there, who live there and how they use the space as well. So, you know, it's, of course, highly complex and you've got to try and take account of all of this, as you know, Adam, probably better than I do when you're uh, designing one of these locations. Yeah, well, and I, 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 I love that. As you know, I, and I'm interested then, I suppose, in then, in terms of that mix, in terms of different scales, a, a lot of people I've been speaking to recently are talking more, I suppose, about designing the journey rather than the physicality in the place. And so, you know, you're thinking about, well, you know, there's bigger units here, there may be things that have been here a long time. And then you're thinking about, you know, wonderful Ross Bailey from a pier here and going, and there's things here that have been there two weeks and it's a startup or a young entrepreneur. And it's that stuff that gives me that delicious dopamine rush where I want things that are reliable and familiar. I mean, in many ways, our body language here about the squeezed middle of retail is going, I want things that are rare and I want things that are familiar. And I'm wondering, you know, how that works with your world about the journey of these many parts of different scales. Is, is that, does that resonate with you? 
Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned dopamine. I mean, dopamine is what drives drives us all. And, you, and if you want a real dopamine hit and you've, you've forgotten what it was all about, just go back into one of these places after not having visited one for so long. And immediately the dopamine um, starts, starts coursing around your body and you want to buy something even if you don't need it. And that's clearly... Uh, Clearly helps or um, uh, <laughs> or helps the UK economy right now. If that's how we're all feeling, but uh, I, you know, I think there's the familiar. Um, there's I know what I'm going to get. I know where I'm going to get it, and and of course the you know those those brands that that uh, I mean I suppose if you think Uniqlo is a, is a classic um, you know sort of familiar you you know you know you're going to get a a particular you know type of knitwear, particular t-shirt, particular colour palette, and you can kind of know that's where I'm going to go, where I'm going to go to Uniqlo. I think one of the wonders of Inditex as a, as a retail brand, I think the Zara business, is actually you don't know what you're going to get when you go in there. The whole, um, you know, only in once and once it's gone, it's gone um, approach to uh, to their retail offer is what's made that such a powerful um, business. And notwithstanding it's a global business, um, you know you're going to see a different product Every time you're in there, which is is wonderful, and then of course there's the there's the uh, yeah surprise you mentioned uh, you know appear here, and it's the surprise of of being able to curate that brand no one's ever met before, no one's ever interacted with, and that's a big big focus for us. Doing a lot of work actually with Ross and uh, and his team um, right now, we've created as a sort of pilot between us three white box units, um, one in Birmingham, Leeds, and uh, and and uh, London in Brent Cross. And you know there are a lot of brands out there. And I think one of the really exciting um, uh, results from the from the pandemic and all the kind of devastating failure we're seeing in businesses. One of the the upside of that is we're going to see some really exciting new businesses that are going to be able to come through. And certainly, working with a business like a beer here, and clearly our our team are, are out there looking for these new brands who just maybe want a two week window just to you know meet the world in the physical sense before they uh, go back to being an online business. And uh, and that as a customer um, experience, you come across one of these brands is delightful. And if you can you know curate something different for uh, every time someone visits your scheme, combining with the familiar, and uh, then I think you've got a you've got a destination that really works. Yeah, I, I totally buy that. I think that, that that thing about that kind of the the rub of those two elements, you know, the things that are kind of slow moving, the things that are fast moving, that, that makes perfect sense to me. And I suppose it makes me wonder about this question of curation that, you know, sometimes, well, I mean, I don't know if you'd think this is fair, but, you know, often developers, you know, there, there will be talk about curation, but fundamentally an asset manager who, you know, it's, it's easier for them to sit back and... Uh, you know, to go down the easy option, which is not necessarily the role of the curator, who by nature is standing behind the column, looking every day to see how it changes and how it gets better. And I wonder what you thought about that in terms of, you know, so a lot of the things beginning with E that we spoke about are things that involve roles and job descriptions and characters that we're not that familiar with in the built environment, or rather in a world of real estate how do you feel that in terms of the teams that you're creating? Is that changing radically? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a really topical. It's a really topical uh, subject for us right now. Um, you know, within the I mean, property in general, but certainly institutional retail property investment has been very much built around the twenty-five year lease. Uh, um, latterly, I guess last few years have been 10, 15 year lease, but it's been around the setting of a tone, a rental value that's based upon that shop's worth the same as the one I let, uh, the level that I let the last one to. 
and that's kind of leads to a behavior which says right i might have a you know beautiful um fashion store here but suddenly there's a phone operator or maybe there's a particularly um acquisitive um you know f- uh, pharmacy business uh, are going to pay me the most rent i'm going to let it to them and therefore i hold i uphold my values and from the institutional asset manager perspective and um, we 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 are putting that to one side we think far far more now we've got to curate our space and 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 essentially contract a form a new relationship with our occupiers which is all about a kind of aligned collaborative relationship where the the worth of that store is particular to that particular a retailer you know what their gross margins are their net margins how they benefit from that store in terms of its online penetration and there's a real kind of science a whole new kind of data led uh, negotiation that comes from that that type of discussion versus the more traditional charts of air this is a rate per square foot because this is what the market says your store's worth and it's fascinating and that leads to really good behavior and and, and if ultimately we you know what we're doing here is creating space which has got to be utterly customer focused you know it's focused on the guests who visit and it's also focused on the customers who we work with i are directly our, our our occupiers and if i ask an occupier and i was speaking to one of the leading retailer chief executive um uh, just just prior to uh i think during lockdown lockdown last year saying look what are the key things you want from us as a, as, as an owner and and of course yeah it's it's highly accessible uh, locations of course it's it's beautiful iconic destinations but also it's an optimal it's brand it's a, it's a it's it's aligning me the occupier with brands that complement what i do i look to you landlord to curate the very best brand mix in a way that you know i can't do on my own and it's pretty obvious but actually that means that we create a place where that's as optimally attractive um and it encourages us to have all sorts of different types of brands of different financial strength. Naturally, I'm going to stray into you know one of the the key issues right now that that we have when talking to these our occupiers and we've got very strong relationships. But we're having to work into a new market now where the stronger are needing to accept the fact that they will be paying more for certain space than others. And that's okay, and they shouldn't worry about that because you know we will create the best mix around them, and all they worry about is their store. And we'll make sure that we've got the very the maximum number of people, and they may well be paying more. So someone might be paying the equivalent of four hundred pounds a square foot, someone else two hundred, someone else uh, one hundred, and that should be okay. And we're saying that's okay. We're okay with it, but you've got to be okay with it because historically, what we're in at the moment in the retail um, you know, market, it's a very very tough time to be a landlord, and there's a bit of a race to the bottom because the and if you can get away with paying really low, then why wouldn't you? And the education, the kind of work, and the you know that we're spending with our occupiers right now is is that education of saying, look, you know, if you want the very best locations, you've got to pay what you can pay, and allow them the landlord to be able to have confidence to invest in these places to protect and to build and grow our collective physical businesses. You know, not just this year, but five, ten, fifteen years into the future, and. Uh, and it's quite an interesting conversation, a real step change from the very kind of right, who will squeeze as much out of them as we can, they'll pay as low as they can. And it's a far more kind of nuanced, collaborative and quite frankly, um, you know, fulfilling relationship. And I, I, I remain really optimistic that we can get there with our, with our retail occupiers and the progressive ones really get this.
uh, and will um, you know will will you know will uh, you know recognize the true value of the space they're occupying. Yeah, I I think that's really powerful. I mean that story of partnership and collaboration that you're talking about here that you know forced or rather I mean I'm sure you would say you know it was coming anyway but COVID has accelerated that and I think you know particularly I think what you're talking about there about that there's a kinship here between what the consumer wants what the occupier wants what the institutional investor wants what the landlord wants and almost a sense of shared purpose here that it isn't just around the commercial endeavour, it's also around the fact that, you know, that emotion that you spoke of before, that this is a story of loyalty and relationships, isn't it? Rather than, you know, how heavy your bag is walking out the store. Absolutely. And it's the context of, and certainly again in retail, it's it's the context of, you know, this isn't online, you know, online bad uh, physical good. You know, it's all, from as far as the customer's concerned, they just, you know, they want a combination of convenience when they want it, experience when they want it, all those things when they want it. And, you know, we've got to work with, uh, you know, collectively, and this is not just retail, this is across all uh, all areas of um, of property. You know, we've got to, got to work uh, you know, embracing the technology, embracing, um, you know, what's happening to the, you know, changing habits of consumers, of office uh, workers, frankly, of people in education now, and, and how people live and continue to adapt our properties and uh, be very open-minded as to how we evolve and adapt. Yeah. Well, it's wonderful to talk to you about it. I mean, I find it enormously positive. And I think the, you know, it's almost like everything about this body language we're talking about here is it's a story of convergence where you're learning from all these other sectors, all of these different individuals taking part. And it is, you know, a thought of, of collaboration, which, you know, we're going back to the old market square, the Agora, you know, that these places lived or died by as much as a state and their permissions as it was also going to be about the individual running their stall. Everybody had a place to play in that. And I, I feel that that's what we're talking about here. But maybe I'm getting over emotional. No, I think there's no, we all need a bit of emotion. Adam, for sure. sure. Well, look, thank you so much, Mark. It's very kind of you to join me. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the next conversation, hopefully face to face. Yeah, not time. Thanks very much for, for, for having me. Real pleasure to chat. Thank you for listening to the Free Thinking Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Mark. Next up, Hugo Warner, who co-founded hospitality group Benugo with brother Ben and last year launched a purpose-built co-working space called The Fisheries near Broadway Market in London. He talks about how great hospitality means taking care of every part of the experience at every scale, whether you're building a community hub or a stakeholder brand or even a post-pandemic high street. Inspiring stuff. So do subscribe so you know when the next episodes are and do leave us a comment so we can get better and better. Thank you and see you soon.